Paz IM Radio with your co-hosts Robert Brining and Aaron Laxton. We go around the world and across the United States. Join in the conversation by calling in to 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. This week, we have your HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause IM Radio. I hope you're ready for season two because it starts now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to July 16th edition of Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining. Here every Sunday to bring you your uh, latest HIV information and your weekly dose of hope. Uh, this week we'll, we'll be joined um, by long-term survivor Hank Trout, uh, writer, editor, um, amazing man, uh, has some great writing out there. He'll be coming on to uh, share his story. He's um, been living with HIV for 28 years, so um, I'm sure his story is one to be told. Um he is editor-at-large at A&U Magazine, uh, America's AIDS Magazine, and he is uh, very much involved and respected in the HIV community, and I am excited to have the opportunity to have him on the show um, to share his story and to talk about his work there at A&U and, and, and his writing. Um, uh, his uh, poem uh, was publicated in uh, Tornado, in A&U Magazine um, recently, I believe it was in uh, January 2016, and it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, you have to go check it out. Uh, I'll put the link up on the Facebook page here. Um, as you maybe notice, uh, Aaron is uh, off again this week. He will uh, be continuing to take some time off for himself to deal with some things, and I uh, wish him well and can't wait for his return. So, uh, again, you can find more information on Aaron by going to AaronLaxton.com. Again, we are here every Sunday here to bring you your dose of hope. For those of you who don't know, um, you can find uh, all of our past shows. We've had over 300 episodes uh, throughout our span here on Blog Talk Radio with some amazing individuals. Um, uh, some everyday Joes to some people that you may have seen on TV or on the cover of magazines. It's it's all about the story, and, and we all have a, a story to tell. And within when we tell our stories is when we find our, our similarities and when we, we start to feel not alone. And, you know, that is why, uh, you know, Pause Time Radio is here. This is why I created it. This is why I want it. Um, this space. Uh, there's nowhere for me to go as somebody who's living with HIV on a daily basis to get inspiration, to get hope. Um, that wasn't like a, a news, uh, you know, site or somewhere where it was about the science, the science or the breakthrough or or, or the numbers or the, the strategies and things like that or political. I, I just wanted a space where you could hear somebody talk about what it was like to live their life with HIV, how they got to where they are today. You know what I mean? And then for us to reflect it, reflect on their story as listeners and find those similarities and feel less alone. Um, that was the, the purpose. Um, one of the things I want to do is I do want to invite you over to uh, check out uh, wegohealth.com. Uh, myself and the show has been nominated for some WeGo Health Awards. If you follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at Pause Radio, um, there's links there for you to go and, and endorse the show and endorse myself. I would appreciate it. Um, I'll put the link in the chat. Uh, again, it's awards.wegohealth.com, and then you can go on there and, and just endorse. You can search uh, the nominees, Pause and Radio. There's another, a whole bunch of other amazing people out there who've been nominated. I saw Maria uh, Mejia. I saw uh, Mark S. King, uh, our friend Barbie from iPain. Uh, that was up there. Uh, nominate those people. There's incredible people up there, health advocates who are making a difference uh, so go ahead and uh, while you're there endorsing me, check out the other nominees and endorse them because uh, they need to be uh, represented. Uh, and, and there's amazing people there, so check that out. Um, I do want to uh, real quickly uh, play one of this week's uh, positive message before we bring uh, Hank Trout, our guest, on in a little bit. Um, I want to play our friend Josh. Um, 
Josh Middleton has been on the show a few times and, you know, he's a, he's a personal friend of mine and the show and he's an amazing man. And he just recently, um, came out as bisexual on Facebook and through social media and attended his first pride. And it was awesome to see him celebrate that. So, um, in honor of that, I just wanted to play his positive message first and then also, uh, welcome him to the family, which he was always a part of anyway, regardless as an ally or, um, falling under our umbrella or not. So, uh, here's, uh, Josh's uh, positive message from rise up to HIV. Hey there, I'm Josh and I've been HIV positive for over four years. And this is my pause message. Yeah, I bet you think you know how this story is going to go. Well, I'm going to do my best to show you how I've learned to see the positive and being positive. No pun intended. I'm healthier today than ever before because I've chosen to make my physical and mental health a priority. I'm happy to share that I've been in a mixed status, serodiscordant relationship with my HIV negative girlfriend for almost two years. We've learned that having a healthy and happy HIV-free baby is more possible today than ever, and I currently have a set plan of action as I'm working towards a pilot's license. Believe me, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't think any of that was going to be possible. You see, our generation has an opportunity today that millions before us never had. We have an opportunity to live. And believe me, I know it's a hard journey. There's no doubt about that. But know that life was never promised to be easy. Learn to separate who you are as a person as opposed to what the virus says you are. It's not the virus, but what you do with the virus that counts. Will it define you or will it refine you? That's a question that only you can answer. Thank you. And there you have it, Josh Middleton's positive message. Uh, I just wanted to play that and show him some support and love uh, this weekend, considering his coming out uh, and going to his first Pride. So, Josh, we love you here, and uh, we look forward to your posts and, and your experience. Tell us what it was all about. So I, I see our guest is here on the line, so I want to go ahead and bring um, our guest, Hank Trout, on. Uh, Hank is a 64-year-old gay man, a 37-year resident of San Francisco, and a 20 eight-year long-term survivor of HIV and AIDS. He was diagnosed in 1989. He's a writer and an editor. He is currently editor-at-large at A&U America's AIDS magazine, and he also uh, writes uh, his bi-monthly column in A&U uh, for the long run. So please help me welcome Hank Trout to the show. Welcome, Hank. Hello there. How are you? How are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm, I, I'm doing really well. Um, First of all, congratulations on your Rego Health Award nominations. That is pretty cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was uh, definitely an honor. Congratulations on that. You, you were, uh, your tornado is nominated for, uh, what is it, a Pushcart Prize? Yes, yes. Um, that and one of my nonfiction stories um, called Just Another Death Sentence um, were both nominated. Um, along with some other things uh, that other writers did at A&U. Um, really proud of all the, all the folks there. Um, we haven't heard yeah, the about team, the, the team there is amazing. No. They really are. Well, and, congratulations on that. I think it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's an awesome bunch of writers there. Um, and photographers, Sean Black and Alina Oswald both do just phenomenal work for the magazine. I'm really proud to be oh, yes, uh, with them. Yeah, I, I've had Alina on the show uh, before when she uh, spoke about um, her uh, her book that she wrote, uh, Journey Through Darkness. So she came on and she oh, spoke yeah. about that. That was in the very beginning, the very beginning of when we started in like 2008. Mm -hmm. You know, she'd be good to come back on and get an update. Um, but she does amazing work. And then Sean Black, I actually met at... Uh, the International AIDS Conference in 2012 in D.C., and he took, of course, amazing photos there that, you know, yeah. he, he's just an incredible guy. They do great work. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Sean's uh, photographs are also um, featured this month at an exhibit here in San Francisco at the um, the Harvey Milk Photo Center. Um, it's the annual Pride exhibit, and I think it goes on through the end of this month. Um, he has seven portraits in the show, along with some other people who have done work for A&U, like Michael Kerner and Michael Johnstone and Paul Margolis. Um, it's an amazing show of photographs. 
I encourage everybody to oh, awesome. see it before it closes. Yeah, I wish I was closer. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, being you're out here in Philadelphia. Right? <laughs> no, I'm oh, in Philly. Philadelphia. Okay. Okay. Yeah, good old I city of brotherly love. <laughs> yay. Yay. <laughs> we need that these days. Yeah, I I love the photo of you in the coffee in the coffee shop with the with the, the cup in your hand. I think it's awesome. That's one of my favorites. That's fun, isn't it? Took. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was taken I love on, it. I love it. I love it. Rainy Saturday morning um, at, at, at the coffee shop there, Maxfields, uh, is where every Saturday morning um, the Elizabeth Taylor 50 plus network gets together uh, for coffee on Saturday from noon to noon, shoot, from 10 to noon. Um, it's an amazing group of people. It's a basically social support group that works out of um, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. And it's uh, headed by this amazing man named Vince Chrysostomo, um, who has been doing AIDS work for more than 30 years now. Um, and it, it, it's a large, diverse group of guys um, age 50 and over. Um, most of us are positive, but not, not all of us. It, it's, it's a wonderful support group. Uh, we go to movies together. We host art show openings together and book launches. Um, we do potlucks together and the coffee on Saturday morning. Um, it, it's been an excellent tool for helping to combat the isolation that we long-term survivors have often suffered. Um, it, it's very heartening and actually helps our emotional and spiritual health just to know that there are other folks out there who are in the same boat we're in. Um, and we, you know, we help each other. Um, I've been going through some some health problems lately, and every day, every single day that I was ill, at least one guy from the Elizabeth Taylor group um, either called me or texted me or contacted me on Facebook or something um, to see if I needed anything, to see how I was doing and all that. Um, it, it's really just a terrific, very supportive bunch of folks. I'm very happy to uh, to have found them a few years ago. Yeah, you know, support is really important, you know, and even as a, you know, as in someone newly diagnosed, but, you know, as you're explaining also for those long-term survivors, you know, to have that support system because now you're, you're, you know, you're facing all different kinds of, you know, issues of living with HIV longer, you know, at, 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 a, at, a, at, a, at an older age and you're experiencing different things other than the typical HIV-related issues. So you're learning how to deal with yeah. HIV and stay, you know, other health conditions. So that support group is, is, I feel like it's something that's always needed from day one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the first thing I tell anybody who is newly diagnosed. Don't do this alone. Don't think you're, you know, don't think you can tough it out by your own, you know, on your own or by yourself. You can, because you can't, that way lies crazy. Um, there are innumerable, groups out there uh, who can lend invaluable support um, and so seek them out don't don't try to do this alone for those of us who are who so are true. older um, you know there are like what 1.3 million people in the country living with HIV and more than 50% of us are over the age of 50 um, here in San Francisco that's 60% of us are over the age of 50 and the CDC has predicted that by the year 2020, uh, those of us over 50 will make up 70% of the people living with HIV. And so, you know, it, of course, it's important to work on getting to zero, to work on preventing new infections. Um, but we can't forget, you know, those of us who have been here and fighting this for 35 or more years. So, so yeah. with that being said, let's let's take take me back to to when you were were diagnosed in 1989. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. Because not only were you know have you been a long term survivor for 28 years, but you were also in San Francisco, in the heart of where everything yeah. happened. So, like, ex explain yeah. to me what that was like, and you know, as best that you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, two things. In 89, you know, this was seven years before the antiretroviral medications became available. And so I was diagnosed at the time, and, and all of us diagnosed before 96 were diagnosed when, you know, our doctors handed us our diagnosis in one hand and a death certificate in the other hand, just waiting for the appropriate date to be filled in. Um, I, I I wish I had a dollar for every time I was told I was going to be dead within a year, um, and a dollar for every time I cried about that. Um, it was just psychologically being told you've got at most two years to live um, can really turn your head upside down. Um, the other thing for me in '89 when I was I was diagnosed, I think. The biggest surprise was that I wasn't surprised. Um, like most of us, I had sort of expected the diagnosis for you know seven or eight years, um, and so when it came, it was devastating in its way, but it certainly was no surprise. Um, I <laughs> gee, I haven't talked about this a lot. Uh, I was diagnosed in '89. In '90, I tried to commit suicide. Um, because I, I, in addition to not wanting to go through that, all of that pain and bother, um, I didn't want to put my friends and family through it either. Mm -hmm. I, I helped take care of people for a lot of years. Um, and so I knew exactly what the caregivers and other people would have to go through. And I wanted to spare them that, um, it didn't work. <laughs> and so I'm still here. And still positive, <laughs> and and still positive, and yeah, you know. and now we know completely untransmittable. I'm safe again. Yes, yes. How does that feel to be, you know, to a point where we were so stigmatized at the beginning, where you, you people wouldn't use the restrooms after us or shake our hands or be in the same room, or, yeah. to now having the U equals U come out with the prevention equals, you know, access campaign. That's amazing. Um. I, I think it's probably the most encouraging news we've had since the, the epidemic started. Um, not only will this, you can almost hear the entire country breathe a sigh of relief when it was announced that U equals U. You know, that as if you are, if your viral load is undetectable and has been there for like six months or so, there's no way you can transmit the virus. I, I, I swear, I think I heard a sigh of relief across the country when we first learned that. Um, not only from people who are negative and now know that you know there's less to fear, but from those of us who are positive and who no longer have to feel like you know like lepers, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot to carry with you to to realize that you could do severe damage to someone's life just by having sex with him. Um, that's a lot to carry with you. And so it, yeah, now, it that we, now that there's more hope, now that you know, we know if we're undetectable, we are untransmittable, that's quite a relief. Amen to that. Amen to that. About. And some of the yeah, that's we something that we, that we have to do. Yeah, Bruce I Richmond, agree with you, and uh, I think Bruce yeah. Richmond is doing an incredible job uh, of getting the word out. Um, he, he's the man's a saint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he's come on and he talked about it when he recently launched it all, and you know it, it's incredible. And you're he's doing him and Bob Bob Leahy up in uh, Canada. They're really you know, on the floor doing the, the work and, and I applaud them. They're, yeah. they're incredible guys. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that um yeah, I've noticed about activism this time around. Um activism in, in our community has changed a lot. I mean we've gone from buy ins on the streets to having a table at conferences where medical information is shared and policies are formed. And, you know, so we've gone from just being rebellious hellraisers to let us help set policy. Um, and that's, I think it's an incredibly healthy change.
Although, though, there's still the need for us to get in the streets, especially now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was I was part of a march here um, the day after the election last November, and there were two things that that I noticed about it. One was it felt just incredibly sad to me um, to be there on Castro Street again, you know, marching and protesting again, you know, fighting for our lives again, you know, fighting fights that we thought we had won 30 or 35 years ago. Um, But now with this fascist orangutan in in the White House, we're going to have to fight them again. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to have to get out in the streets and make noise and make people uncomfortable and make people angry and make them pay attention. Um, uh, for me, you know, yeah. right now, the only words I, the only words that make any sense to me these days are act up, fight back. You know, I mean, it's been a long yeah. time, but it's time to do it again. No, I totally agree with you. And then that's actually, I saw Aaron posted something today in regards to, uh, an action alert that he's trying to put together in D.C., something about uh, being able to go there to be involved with the the, the protests and the marching. So uh, check out Aaron's post. I think it's somewhere on Facebook or Twitter. I'm sure that he he posted it for anyone interested. He's looking for people from certain areas. So uh, they can check that out, and that's kind of what he's been, you know, busy performing. So uh, I want to take a quick break and play this week's HIV scoop uh, from Josh Robbins, and then, uh, Hank, we'll come right back with you, okay? Okay, doke. I'll be here. All right, and there you have it. So this is this week's uh, HIV Scoop by Josh Robbins. This is your HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusive for Paws I Am Radio. Buzzworthy HIV news in under 90 seconds. Here's Josh Robbins in this week's HIV Scoop. All right, here we go. Jack McEnroth, a long-term survivor who was diagnosed with HIV in 1990, is again raising money uh, this year for the 2017 Breaking AIDS Ride, which benefits Housing Works. Now, his goal this year is $75,000, and that is not simple for the former Project Runway star. He wants his 285-mile bike ride from Boston to New York, which is over three days, to raise even more than the $56,000 that he did last year. It's crazy money, y'all. As always, McEnroth is using his sexy body to post social media ads for every donation of $250 or more. But uh, I will tell you, if you want the prime parts of his body to be your human billboard, you've got to dig really deep. It's a thousand bucks, but if you do it, his ass, that's right, his ass will beam proudly the message that you want to his three quarters of a million social media followers. I think it's a good deal. So good job, Jack McEnroth. Hey, if you got it, flaunt it right, baby. You can donate uh, by finding the link on any of his social media profiles. Just search for the verified Jack McEnroth. All right, next, about 80 HIV advocates were arrested this week at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. after they staged what was really a provocative sit-in that disrupted business as usual in several Republican senators' offices again last week. And this is all over the proposed health care bill that is trying to do a, a remake or a redo and a revamp of the Affordable Care Act by the Obama administration. The civil disobedience was pretty well coordinated by Housing Works and the Center for Popular Democracy. The whole article that explains this whole scenario and the massive media coverage is available on thebody.com. Now, I'm not somebody that is... You know, one of the activists that's going to be in the street and get arrested, because when they tell me to disperse, I'm going to already be gone. But I will take credit cards for anybody that does get arrested so I can help bail them out. You know what I mean? We all have uh, a piece of the pie, and we all have our, our, our job and responsibility, but hats off to these 80 HIV advocates who were arrested to really make a point. All right, so y'all stay cool. It is hot out there. Drink some lemonade or some water. 
people just, you know, raising their viral load out in this heat. But I'm telling y'all to stay cool. I'm Josh Robbins. This was your HIV scoop. Thank you, Josh Robbins. And for more information on this week and past HIV scoops and more information on Josh, go to imstilljosh.com. Um, some amazing uh, things right there. Um, actually, next week we will be joined by Jack McEnroth. Uh, he's actually a former co-host of mine. He used to do the show with me um, when we did it biweekly. And um, he's going to come on and talk about his uh, campaign, his fundraising campaign. And you'll get to hear all about it. So, um Next week, uh, Jack, uh, actually, it's not, not next week, I apologize, because uh, next week we won't be here. Um, it'll be the 30th of July. Jack will be joining us to talk about his campaign. So I'll be excited about that. I do want to open up the phone lines if you're listening live and would like to call in, 929-477-3572. If you'd like to speak with us on air, press the one button, and we will bring you on. Hank Trout, are you there? I'm here, yes. There you have it. So for people just listening, um, Hank is a 28-year long-term survivor, and he is joining us today. He's also editor-at-large at ANU, America's AIDS magazine. So first of all, were you always a writer? Was writing something you always did when you were in school? Like, was it something that you, you know, always had a, a stick for? Um, I, yeah, I've been writing all my life. Um, I, one long pause there. Um, I, I was an English major. And through the the, the uh, master's degree, and the plan was to teach in a college somewhere. Um, unfortunately, in the late 70s, there were no college jobs to be found in the liberal arts, um, so I had to go out and do other things. Um, in the late 70s and early 80s, um, I wrote a lot of fiction. Um, <laughs> a nice way of putting it. it. It was erotic fiction, even though I prefer the term uh-huh. smut. Um, I wrote for Drummer <laughs> and Mailbox and you know, just a whole bunch of other magazines. Um, and then, for some reason, when AIDS hit, um, the act of writing fiction seemed frivolous to me. You know, I mean, it, it seemed like I was dishonoring these people I knew who had died by writing, you know, smut. Um, when there were so many other things I could have been doing and should have been doing. Um, Unfortunately, the things that I wanted to write about, the things that I knew I had to write about were just too painful. Um, I, I couldn't write. Um, and as a friend of mine said to here the other day, when you're up to your ass in bedpans, it's kind of hard to take time to write about being up to your ass in bedpans. Um, so <laughs> I didn't write, you know, I, I, I didn't write anything for like 30 years. Um, I didn't, my last story that I published, I think was in 82. Um, and I didn't publish anything again until January of 2016, um, when ANU published my poem, Tornado. Um, again, the, the things that I wanted, I knew I had to write about were just too painful. And they're still painful. There are still stories so, so, so. Uh, from that time that... I, I just real quick, I want you to touch a little bit on, on Tornado because I, I went and I, I read it today. It's incredibly written and it's so deep and so real and so like, I feel like it's everything that people needed to know about that time and how, you know, from the pain from the beginning and the stigma down to, you know, how the, the, our community, the gay community came together and, and held each other and loved each other and, and supported each other and, and, and picked each other back up to, to where we are today. And it's like the history and it's, it's amazing. And I think it's awesome. Um, people can find that actually on the ANU website, correct? Um, if you go to ANU Actually, they can find that on your website. Oh, yes. Let's yes. put your website um, out there so people can find it there. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's uh, Wrestler's <laughs> Blog, Wrestler's W-O-B, which is Wrestlers Without Borders, uh, but it's wrestlerswob.com slash Hank Trout. And all of the writing that I've done for A&U, starting with Tornado, um, is archived there. Um, but in I, I've the read quite itself, a few... Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, no, go tell me the about way the poem tornado first, came about. Uh, the way tornado came about was um, I, I attended a writer's workshop 
for long-term survivors here. My fiance Rick had been encouraging me to to get back into my writing and to try you know work through that pain and, and start writing again. Um, and so I attended this writer's workshop and the facilitator challenged us to write something about living in San Francisco in the 1980s using a metaphor from nature. And the first thing I thought of was a tornado because that that's, that's exactly what it was like living here then. It was like, you know, living in the eye of a tornado that went on for about 16 years. Um, when I wanted the poem to be, to, you know, to include all the horrors of that period, but also to be about resilience and to be about hope. Um, which is why I ended it with your know, long list of all the, the accomplishments we made in the arts as a result of dealing with um, dealing with the epidemic. Um, so it was it, it was. <laughs> I tell you, I I shed more tears than ink over that one. Um, it was very difficult to write, but once I did, it was like, whoa, oh boy, now that's out of me. So. So I was very right. happy. With it. it was like a big release. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. that it was incredibly written. I mean, I was reading it today and I was like, I couldn't imagine because I felt the pain through your words. You know what I mean? And I couldn't imagine what it was like to to be there at that moment and to have all of that, you know, to feel like a tornado going around you with what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on, yeah, on, on, you know, go ahead. You know, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, what are your thoughts on, um, they were going to, uh, they've changed, they kind of want to substitute AIDS, the word AIDS for, with HIV and kind of slowly start removing that word. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's an excellent idea. Um, for one thing, even though it's been 35 years and despite all the progress we've made, there is still a lot of terror that is associated with the word AIDS that doesn't seem quite as you know, scary when you refer to HIV. And besides which there are, mm. you know, the, the fundamental differences between the two. Um, I've, I've right. lived with HIV for 28 years and I, but I've never been diagnosed with quote unquote full blown AIDS. Um, and so, and they are indeed separate animals, you know, um, the HIV can potentially lead to AIDS, um, but as you and all your listeners know, that's not necessarily, you know, an, an unavoidable progression. Um, and as, especially with the government changing, you know, HIV.gov, I mean, changing AIDS.gov to HIV.gov, um, it, it includes a lot more of us. Um, it, you know, yeah. people like me who have lived with HIV, but have never been diagnosed with AIDS. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a great idea. Cool. Okay, <laughs> good. I wanted to also ask you about uh, the one article you wrote, the prodigal queer, when you talked about going oh, yeah. back to uh, West Virginia university and speaking, tell us a little bit about what that was like to go back there. To you. It was your alma mater, right? Yes. Yes. Um, I was there it from 1970 through 77. Um, and at the time, you know, just I mean, the idea, the very idea of a gay and lesbian center on campus was like science fiction. I mean, there was, I only knew one other gay person on the entire campus of 25,000 people. Um, now there are 45,000 people there and they just last year opened this lesbian and gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer center. Um, they, they've been doing classes in queer theory and queer literature and all that sort of thing. And it was, when I first heard that they'd opened the center, my first thought was, you're kidding, right? <laughs> you know, they're in <laughs> Red Republic in West Virginia. They're, they've opened a gay and lesbian center at the university, right? But then, you know, the more I investigate, it's like, well, you know, these folks are serious. Um, so they invited me as an alumnus, and because I'm a, a writer for A&U um, and have some teaching experience, they invited me back for a week to teach a couple of classes and do a writing workshop. And I got to recite 
uh, tornado uh, in front of a theater full of people. Um, so it was, it was, it, it was head snapping. I was, um, I was extremely pleased uh, with, with the center, proud of the people that I met. Um, I, I had to wonder, you know, just how much are these young people going to care? You know, here I'm 64. I'm old enough to be their grandchild, grandparents, you know? Um, and <laughs> something that Cleve Jones pointed out when I interviewed him was for young people now, when they listen to people like Cleve or me talk about the AIDS crisis, it's, it's sort of like when Cleve and I were young and listen to our parents talk about the depression or about World War II, because the events are just, you know, the events of the AIDS crisis are just as far removed from young kids today as the depression was for me when my parents were talking about it. And so it was like, are these people even going to care? Um, <laughs> I, I think that kind do. of just shows why. And I think it shows, I just think it shows how important it is for you to continue to share your story, you and people like Cleve and yeah. other long-term survivors, because the story, we can't forget where we came from. Exactly. And what I discovered was, you know, these, these kids were completely engaged. They were very curious. They were not only respectful, but eager to learn about things like, you know, the marches and rallies we've done. The, the fights we've had to fight, um, the way we came together to take care of each other. Um, they really want to know about these things. And I, I found it extremely encouraging. Um, the kids are all right. They're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I think that kind of intergenerational sharing is absolutely essential. Um, I don't think the gay community has ever done that before. You know, I don't remember my elders in the tribe passing along anything. Um, but then, you know, the elder, <laughs> the elders and, and the folks who were older than me were, you know, <laughs> they were busy fighting for their lives in other ways. You know, there was the lavender scare when you know, the state department and the government tried to get rid of all the homosexuals in, in the government. Um, school districts that tried to get rid of all of us, you know, they had their own fights. Um, but I don't remember anybody passing on that stuff. It's like we've learned it since then. Um, so I'm glad that now there are you know, attempts at this kind of intergenerational discussion and sharing. Um, it, I, it, it can only be good. Yes, and, and I applaud you for, for still sharing your story because I know it, over you know, the 28 years, I'm sure there's been times where you're tired and you're like, let me pass the torch on. But it's people like you who remind <laughs> us where we came from and, and remind me why I continue to do what I do. And, and, you know, not everybody has access to information. So when they're diagnosed and maybe they're sitting in that classroom where you're speaking or I'm speaking, getting that hope and just, it's amazing. So I just applaud you for continuing to do it because I know it can take a toll on you. Thank you. Um, it does get tiring, but it's an obligation. You know, this isn't this isn't a hobby for me. This is it's my obligation as an elder in the tribe to continue doing this. Um, I just I, I it's it, it, there are times when it's a lot less fun than other times, but it's never any less of an obligation. Right. So uh, real quick, I want to open up the phone lines. Uh, if you want to give us a call and you're listening, or if you're one of the people on hold listening and would like to come on air, um, press the number one button. The phone number is 929-477-3572. Um, one of the other articles that you uh, wrote for A&U was uh, Surviving Survivor's Guilt. Um, and you know, as I was reading it, I noticed you took a different, kind of a different stance on, on survivor's guilt than what I usually hear from somebody who is a long-term survivor. Yeah. Um, can you, can you explain a little bit about that? Um, I, the basic thrust of that article is I understand survivor's guilt, and I know that mm-hmm. it's real. I, you know, I, I've done enough research, and I know enough people who have suffered horribly from it 
to know that it's absolutely real. Um, I've just never felt it myself on a gut level, you know. Um, I, I understand that when when there's that much death and dying going on around you, and for some inexplicable reason it misses you, you're going to wonder, you know, why am I still here instead of someone else? And I'm convinced that my being here instead of some of the other people I knew who died, um, my being here is a completely a matter of happenstance. It is complete serendipity, you know, just pure luck. Um, but I don't feel guilty that I survived. You know, it's like mm. if if I if I had done something that caused these other people to die instead of me, you know, if I had made that choice, like in 1984, when, you know, Winston said, says, do it to Julia instead of me, you know, if I had made that kind of choice, then I could feel guilt about it. Um, but I didn't, you know, um, it was not my doing. I miss those people. I mourn them. I have cried every day for the last 36 years. Um, but I don't feel guilty for having survived when others didn't. Um, there's a mm. line from Springs, one of Springsteen's, I think it's Badlands, you know, it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. Well, I'm very glad I'm That's alive. I'm very, sorry, I'm very sorry that these other people aren't. I wish they still were. They were dear friends. Um, but I cannot and do not feel guilty that they're gone. But again, I don't mean to disparage those people who do feel survivor's guilt. I understand where it's coming from, and I know that it's very real and can be debilitating. It's just not just not one of the things that I've experienced myself as part of this you know, this whole trip. No, and I think that your your article uh, it's called "Surviving Survivor's Guilt." I think it it explains it and it breaks it down, and it really made me understand how you felt about it. You know what I mean? It made it simple yeah. because not everybody always feels that way. So. I think that it, it's it's good that you put it out there because you know somebody out there has to also feel the same way that you do. Yeah, there's a, a, one other person that I've talked about with it is Tez Anderson, and you know who started Let's Kick Ass, uh, AIDS Survival Syndrome. Um, he and I were talking about this one day, and it was like it, it was a relief to find someone else who feels about the same way I do. You know. Um, I was I was sort of feeling bad that I didn't feel bad about being alive. You know, it's like, is there something wrong with me? Something incomplete in me that I don't feel this guilt? Um, and Tez and I decide, no, it's it's you know, it's one of the valid responses. I'm, I I feel horrible uh, you, that those people have died, but it wasn't my fault. You know, that's right. That's right. And you're living, you know, is is you know a way of honoring them. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. So um, before I, uh, we, before we end the show, I have a, a question for you that we usually ask everybody at the end. If somebody newly diagnosed mm -hmm. comes up to you and they're living in San Francisco and they're looking, um, you know, for advice or, or, or a place to go get information, uh, what would you say to them? Um, the two places I would send them first are the Shanti Project and the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Um, both are excellent sources for information um, and for for finding out what, what resources are available and how to access them. Um, but mostly both are excellent at just support, you know, uh, at being there for each other. Like the Elizabeth Taylor Group is part of uh, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. And there's a group part that's part of Shanti called Honoring Our Experience uh, that does retreats and sponsors the answers and that sort of thing. Um, it, it, for me, the, the main value is the social support, the, the letting people know, you know you're not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. Um, other people have been here. We've gotten through it. Here's how we did it. Now come along. Uh, but yes, I would send them first to Shanti and to the AIDS Foundation. There you have it. That's a okay. great way to end it. Support is, is crucial. Work. 
You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's I, where I, we started talking about support. It's, it's support is something that is, is needed from day one of diagnosis, I think, until until the end. Um, Hank, where can people find you um, besides by uh, by going to uh, a new magazine or finding your articles in there? Where can they find you online, social media? Uh, yes, I'm I'm on Facebook, just Hank Trout. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Give me a Twitter. <laughs> um, Hank Trout Writer. Uh, it, 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 it's um, Hank Trout Writer, one word, uh, on Twitter. Um, uh, that's the extent of my social media. I, I haven't cool. figured and, out um, Snapchat what, or Instagram yet. <laughs> Instagram's really fun. Um, Snapchat's cool too. Um, but I kind of just use that for like my family and stuff to send funny videos. But tell yeah. me, um, do you have what do you have lined up coming out um, for your column? Anything you can uh, kind of give us a little, you know, taste of, uh, or anything coming down about, the pipe? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, actually right now. I'm going through another bit of a health crisis, um, and I'm using this column, my next column, to uh, to write about how I deal with it, to write about you know how. What it's like to get new, the news that you know you have a cancerous tumor on your appendix, and how I deal with it, you know how I keep it from go, making me crazy. So, so that's wow. what my next column coming up in September is about. So, and after that, I promise well, I'll get a little I, lighter. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I wish you well, and I hope everything goes well with everything with that. And I, I want to thank oh, you for thank coming you. on. Uh, you've been amazing. I. I I, I love your writing. I'm going to continue to follow you uh, on the magazine. People can go to anumag.org to find your information there under the columns. Uh, the columns. The column, again, is uh, for the long run. Um, Hank Trout is our guest today. Hank, uh, any final words for our listeners? Um, I, I, I would say again, just, just don't try to do this alone. No matter whether you're newly diagnosed or you're a survivor who's been you know, plodding along and trying to do this by yourself, don't do that. There is support out there, and you're going to need it, so go get it. There you have it. Hank Trout, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to meeting you one day. Yes, I hope so. I love your show. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Bye-bye. And there you have it. For more information on Hank Trout, you can go to our website, Pazine Radio. All information is linked there on our social media. You can find him on uh, Twitter, and you can find him on our Facebook. Again, Pazine Radio is all linked for you. Um, I want to thank Josh Robbins for his contribution with HIV Scoop this week, and, of course, our uh, friend here, Aaron Laxton, for his amazing audio. And I also want to send a big shout-out to uh, Kevin Maloney and his Rise Up to HIV campaign, Go check out his U equals U frames that are out now. Um, you can check them out on Facebook or Twitter, Rise Up to HIV. Um, I'm going to leave you with a positive message, and I'll be right back. I don't have any issues with having HIV because I've accepted it. And I know no matter what, everything's going to be okay. I have two options. Choose to be sad about it or be proactive and positive. I'd rather be happy, so I educate myself, which creates confidence. And I understand why other people make jokes or may hate it. It's because they don't understand it, so they are scared, which is a natural human reaction. So therefore, I don't take it personal. I educate them to help them feel comfortable. I stay calm and normal because my energy will be their energy. I don't care about what people think. I know the truth about HIV, and I'm okay with that. What others say does not affect my life. I have a choice to allow that energy in or not. That's theirs to keep, not mine. I know I will live. I know I can have kids without them contracting. I know I can be in a relationship and have all the sex I want. What more can I ask for? I may have less energy some days, I take meds every day. I go to the doctors every six months for a checkup on my health. That's not so bad to me. We got to just accept what is, enjoy life day to day, and let the rest go. This is why I don't worry. My medicine is just a daily routine. It's not an HIV reminder. I choose to live a normal life. I mean, my life is normal. I just have a manageable virus that I take meds for. That's all.
thank you, Kevin Maloney, for your uh, positive message. Rise up to HIV. Check them out on Facebook. Again, next week we will not be having a live show. I will be uh, attending uh, the Brotherhood Retreat, the Positive Retreat up in the Poconos uh, from the 21st to the 23rd. There are still some scholarships available and uh, rooms if anyone is interested and can uh, find their way there. Again, it is up in Poconos, Pennsylvania, 90 minutes from New York City and about two hours from Philly. Uh, July 21st to 23rd is this upcoming weekend. I'll be attending there, so there will be no show next week. But you can join me live uh, the following Sunday, which will be the 30th, and I'll be back with my former co-host and friend Jack McEnroth. You all know him from Project Runway uh, Season 4 and many other things. You've seen him his post on social media, his uh, campaign with um, Housing Works coming up in the Ride Parade. Uh, so check him out, jackmackenroth.com. Again, a special thanks to our guest, Hank Trout. Um, I hope you all have a great week, and I will be talking to you probably in two weeks. So until then, stay positive. Join us each and every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when we bring you your weekly dose of hope. You can join in the conversation after the show is off air. Going on Twitter at Pause I Am Radio, Aaron Laxton. While you're on there, reach out to I'm Still Josh as he brings your weekly HIV scoop. And check out Kevin Maloney with Rise Up to HIV. I encourage you, if you have not already done so, please contribute to the Positive Message Campaign. From each and every one of you who contribute and allow us to bring this show to you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And if you know someone who would be interested in coming on air, or you think there's something that we need to cover, please let us know. We're here to bring content that you need and you want. From each and every one of us over at Pause I Am Radio, from myself and Robert Brining, have a safe and happy week. And until we talk again, stay positive.